Welcome to More to Come, PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at various locations around the metropolitan New York City area. I'm Calvin Reed, uh, uh, contributing editor the Publishers Weekly, editor of PW Comics World, and editor of The Fanatic, PW's twice-a-month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am the editor-in-chief of The Beat at ComicsBeat.com. And you can find us on Twitter at at PWComicsWorld. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer. And you can find us online on Tumblr at PWComicsWorld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on the Apple Podcast app, on Google Podcasts, and on Stitcher, and on Facebook. We're at Facebook.com slash PW Comics World. And don't forget, you can leave us a comment on any of the platforms on which you can subscribe to the podcast. So please give us a rating or leave us a comment, thumbs up, even thumbs down. We love to hear from our listeners. Talk to us, why don't you? All right, this week on More to Come, um, we got a special offer for the listeners of More to Come. The U.S. Book Show is back. There's a free all there's an excuse me there's a all day standalone comics day and we're giving away free tickets to the day so stay tuned. Also, manga is still booming. We are and we're going to talk with Deb Aoki. The Flash trailer is out. The Black Comic Book Festival at the Schomburg. Uh Marvel Comics app, you know, passes on. Um uh, and Cartoonist Studio Prizes and the LA Times Book Prize. So, back to the U.S. Book Show. The U.S. Book Show is PW's replacement of Book Expo. It's back. It's an annual event. This year, for the first time, there is a standalone comics day, a full day of programming. It'll take place on May 22nd, May 23rd, May 23rd, a Tuesday at NYU's Kimmel Center, right off of Washington Square Park. And it's going to be a doozy. We're going to keynotes by Chuck D. That's right, a public enemy. He's got a graphic memoir coming out. Roz Chess, um, uh, Heidi, our our own Heidi McDonald will have a a keynote uh, platform later in the day with Jeff Smith and Tilly Walden. In between, uh, there's going to be Jillian Tamaki, James Tinian. Um, uh, there's more. Ryan Estrada, George O'Connor. So, in honor of this first standalone day, um, PW is making, gonna give out 25 free tickets to this all day event, programming all day, you get a lunch, you get to hang around with creators, it's gonna be great. Uh, so, what you need to do, the first 25, uh, people to register with the code I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you will get free admission. So you need first off you need to go to the US Book Show website, which is usbookshow.com, usbookshow.com. Um use the promo code all caps M T C F R E E. And you look for when you when you get to the site, look for the button on the upper right hand corner that says register. So that's, you know, that's all caps, uh, MTC free, MTC free. Um, follow directions 
and the first 25 people will get in free. And uh, we should put this in our, our description of this podcast as well, I guess, right? So yes, we'll make sure. Uh, yes. yes. And, um, yes, and we'll, that, I'm excited. I'm so excited for this. Uh, you know, U.S. Book Show, it's not really a replacement for Book Expo America, but it is kind of a, a reimagining of what a book show might be in New York City. And, uh, it's great. It's really exciting that they're having the standalone graphic novel day. Uh, I am, of course, thrilled to be talking to Jeff Smith and Tilly Walden. Uh, two incredible creators, you know, Chuck D, Raj Chast. I mean, yeah, you, yeah. walk, don't run. Yeah, and this is a, website. And this is a hybrid and, show. Yeah, yeah. This is a hybrid show after many years of digital only or online only. So these are gonna, this, 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 they're gonna be there in person, folks. So, uh, head to US Book Show, use the promo code I sent you, look for the registration, uh, tab and follow the instructions. Yes. 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 Well, I don't know uh who all is going to be at the U.S. Book Show, but I'm pretty sure that a bunch of publishers are coming out, and I hope some manga publishers come out because manga is booming. And uh, we just ran a big feature about manga in PW, written by the one and only Deb Aoki. And guess what? Deb is here to talk to us about it. Okay, more to come, listeners. We've got a new article up about manga this week. In fact, we almost it's like a suite of articles uh, <laughs> on on the state of manga. We're gonna we're gonna talk to it with the writer, the fabulous Deb Aoki. Deb, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Even I'm even greater because those articles are now published. <laughs> well, <laughs> you you went above and beyond, Deb. I mean, it's a dizzying. I I feel like it was an encyclopedia of manga circa well, 2023. Well, that's how Deb rolls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and if I may say so, I mean, you talked to like about twelve people. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 12, about twelve, thirteen. I, and sources, we'll go over them later. Yeah. But hey, we got, you know, first, I mean, the lead feature in, in the print and, uh, and I think, and online, obviously, is, um, it's called Ma- Our Manga Sale, uh, Our Manga Sales Evening Up or Steadying Our, Our Sales of Manga Evening Out. Sorry about that. Um, uh, uh it, it, what exactly does that mean? But it, it seems to me, no matter what it means, is that manga is dominant. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it was just this incredibly upward trajectory for the last two years where, yes. like, you know, dub- double, quadruple, kind of like just ridiculously high numbers. And so it's, I think, um, after several cycles of booms and busts, people are nervous, right? Because it's no longer going on that steep upward climb, but mm-hmm. it's leveling off a little bit. But mm-hmm. to me, that's not a bad thing because yes. it's, Leveling off is better than going back down. It's kind of human nature, though, that, mm-hmm. you know, when you experience an insane, you know, what was it, 200% growth? Um, I don't want to misstate the number, well, but it, it was, was 68%. Yeah, 68% growth. 2021 was 68% yeah. up over 2020. I yes. mean, insane. Now, 2022 was 6.8% yeah. over 2021. And and manga sales generally are still above pre-pandemic uh, yes. levels. Uh, was, is that right, Deb? Oh, absolutely. I mean, by by huge by huge degree. I mean, yeah. I can see yeah. that everywhere. So there's a new baseline for for sales, 
And we're and it's and I remember in the the earlier boom years in the 2005 2006 where I think it came to an end. I mean, Mongo was nearly what two thirds of all sales, if I'm not mistaken. This yeah. is going back a ways. Now, obviously, the split isn't quite that great now, but it's still tremendous. Mongo really has uh, become uh, a an integral part of North American comics marketplace. Mm -hmm. But also to like this year, what I felt was important to say, because even, even though these numbers are historically at record highs, that I wanted to give the French numbers, like the yes. mm -hmm. of, of manga in France to give context for why people feel like there's still room to grow. Sure. Because it's still a rough, like the, even though what we have now is, you know, incredibly high. It's roughly half of what if, what it is in France. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you mentioned here that Ma France is the second largest second largest ma market for manga after Japan, and that uh, that the French manga sales reached about four hundred seventeen million dollars in twenty twenty two, um, and w which America was only two hundred forty six only. Two hundred forty-six yes. million dollars. So, yeah, it's, it's 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 not quite double, but it's like significantly higher. And you know, France has a much lower population than the United States. Um, what to what do we attribute this? You know, and and what is it? It's like it's it's uh, two yeah two thirds of all of the one in seven books sold in France is manga, not graphic novels, books. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what do we attribute this insane growth? You know, I I can't really say like because I don't know the, the the all the factors that went into the growth that happened in the French market. Um, it was pretty similar all around. I mean, I I've mm -hmm. been talking with other journalists as um, journalists in Italy say, yeah, this happened here too. Um, and it just seemed like um, manga. I think. Everyone talks about there's a couple of perfect storms that happened, right? Like the, the pandemic and everyone was at home. Um, there's a lot more anime streaming. There's on more channels and people not only bought the front list stuff, they bought backlist stuff that they've been reading to read for a long time. Mm. And compared to the last uh, manga boom, there's so much more available digitally uh -huh. than yeah. through so many other sources. So now it's just, there's just so much more of it out there and people I think are more, um, sophisticated about their manga consumption i mean like their their second third fourth generation manga readers now sure um, mm -hmm. so it's i think it i think people feel like even though the last bust was you know i think hurt a lot of people right because they were stuck with stock uh, there were a lot of layoffs um you know you mean really the, the great recession in 2008 2009 yeah yeah mm -hmm. you know a lot of layoffs and all this kind of stuff but you know, the, I think everyone I've talked to is aware, is aware that, you know, things go up and down. Mm -hmm. And so they're being, you know, they're being pragmatic, right? They're not licensing everything out there. They're being more selective and they're, you know, keeping in mind that because there's still the supply chain issues are still there, right? Like mm -hmm. they can't print all the books they want to print and they're running up against shelf space issues, right? Yes. Which is always an issue in manga. I mean, you do another statistic that just jumped out at me here, which is one that I have been talking about with a few people of late, oh. is that, you know, in Japan, like 
like manga has switched to digital, which is a mm. big change for over just 10 years ago, right? Because mm. 10 years ago, all the manga publishers, or maybe 15 years ago, but, but they, mm. manga publishers were fighting digital tooth and nail. And now mm. digital sales are two thirds of the sales in Japan. Pretty much. Yeah. Um, like a lot of the magazines, the paper magazines are, are folding. Like they're just switching to being digital only magazines. Wow. There's more apps and um, there's more ebook stores. And, you know, for practical reasons, right? Because Japan, in Japan, people have smaller houses. Um, they can't accumulate that much printed manga. And they're, they commute, like a lot of people are on commuter trains. And so reading on a phone is so very convenient. Mm. And you can get anything you want to read. Whereas what's, I think it's really interesting about the American uh, market is that we are still very much a print uh, market. Like I've, I've been noticing like there's vloggers and bloggers like doing their, Oh, look at my manga collection videos, you know, <laughs> like it's sure. a point of pride and, or, and during the pandemic when, you know, really popular series like Chainsaw Man and stuff like that were hard mm-hmm. to get. Um, p- people were started, you know, having this collector mentality, like, look what I got. I got mm-hmm. it and nobody else can get it. So people, this, this want the digital to version. Own it. No, no, people want to own the books. They want to own the books. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. 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 Well, we've, it's, it's, it's very well established here in the United States that, you know, print is superior to digital as far as graphic novels and regular books are concerned. Mm-hmm. People absolutely are not giving up their, their, you know, print collections. And I, I wonder how much of that is, um, the size, you know, the, the size differential, mm-hmm. um, with, um, you know, like you said, the, of, of homes. I mean, here in America, you know, we do have, mm-hmm. even in New York, like, you know, even my tiny apartment would be, uh, uh, palatial by Tokyo standards. And, um, you know, people live in big houses and kids have their own bedroom with, you know, a shelf to, for <laughs> manga. <laughs> uh. uh, but you know, one thing, just to interject, you, you're uh, one of the accompanying, accompanying articles, uh, to your main feature. Is, you know, manga, all kinds, all formats goes global. And a part of what you're talking about is that, you know, this phenomenon, this growth, this, this embrace of manga, manga, manga style, manga adjacent, uh, content as well is kind of a global phenomenon. Um, uh, and, and, and as far as Europe and France is concerned, the, the comics market there is just mammoth in general. Uh, which may have something to do with the popularity in France. Um, because manga has been popular there for, for quite a while, even though it's exploding around the world. But what can you tell us about, um, uh, well, or, well, the notion of the glut. Are we in an, are we in another glut? And my position on this show always is whenever comics is doing well, uh, the industry tends to think it's a glut. Where are you on this? Um, I don't think we're necessarily in a glut yet um but i think we are going to reach a point where stores are just going to hit that that saturation point right like where they just have no more room to spare to put new manga out um what's happening now i think is the the front list is always going to do well uh and then the classics will generally go well but the hidden gems and the underground the the, the mighty mid list uh, <laughs> will, will struggle 
mm-hmm. it will continue to struggle. And I think that's where things will shake out quite a bit. Mm. Um, or it'll get more niched, right? Because like one thing I thought was really neat was Ed Chavez uh, pointed out that there's a whole bunch of manga-specific comic shops that are opening up now. Wait, wait. In, are, in, yeah, um, like, in, in the in US? US? Mm-hmm. And there's some, and there's a few I saw in um, France as well. Like, it is just like a comic shop just for manga. Well, and uh, Deb, I think one thing you do you, you know, you mentioned that, you know, there's manga only stores, but I, I, I mean, I, I think this started during the last year of the pandemic, but there is manga everywhere. I yeah. mean, like I said, oh, five oh, below, five below sells manga, you know, that's for five dollars. I thought Urban Outfitters. Yes, Urban yes. Outfitters <laughs> has a manga shop. Urban you know, Outfitters, of course, Target. You know, sure. all, Target, Walmart, they've been selling it. And what? of course, libraries, right? I mean, libraries are, more libraries are carrying manga, um, it's just there's more of it out there, and um, there's like like over in the I think in the last year maybe now there's three or four new manga apps and mm-hmm. subscription services that have popped up, including one that's gonna another one that's gonna debut in a couple weeks from Kodansha. So yeah, I mean, that's part of what your article talks about is just the availability is mm-hmm. really extraordinary right now, mm-hmm. and it's something for everybody too. Mm. Kate, did you have any thoughts you wanted to throw at Deb? Well, um, one thing I wanted to ask Deb for our listeners is, you know, yes, yes, a lot of times when we talk about manga, we talk about continuation of ongoing trends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But what, what would you pick out as like the biggest changes or trends that you've seen when you were, you know, getting this article together for this year, did anything jump out? Was there anything interesting or surprising? Um, the two, the two trends that I thought were most interesting was um, the strength of the webtoon to print market. Mm, good point. Uh, so much. There's so much more of that. Um, Ize Press, which is Yen Press's dedicated imprint, debuted in December, and the way that um, ICV2, for example, breaks out the book book scan numbers, they put manga in a separate category than adult graphic novels, which is where all the webtoon books are. Like I remember seeing like in January, like eight out of the ten books were webtoon books. Like webtoon Mm. to print books. So that to me said like wow, you know, even though you can read these things online, you people were buying the books. Um the the other thing was that the emergence of um content from China which mm. is starting to really be fascinating to me. It's like the Don May stuff, the boys love from China. Um, also, um, like Drawn and Quarterly is publishing more stuff from China. Like, uh, they're doing 20 k- kilometers per hour by Woshibai. And then there's a publisher called Paradise Systems, which specializes in publishing indie comics from Taiwan and Hong Kong in English. And I think the other one was, um, and I'm waiting to see what's going to happen, but I remember Penguin Random House had an ad for an editor, and they were asking for someone who speaks Mandarin. <laughs> so I think there's just more coming, and it's been really fascinating to watch. Um, I, I would say two things that come to mind. One, it doesn't surprise me that people are buying them in book form because my guess is that while the little installments, each micropayment doesn't seem like that much, it's actually probably more cost effective to buy the book if the book is available. And, oh, definitely. 
and secondly, I, I think those two things are linked. I think the, um, increasing interest in, uh, Chinese works, Taiwanese works is coming directly out of the webtoon boom because a lot of that stuff never really even saw print that much. Um, it went straight from one webtoon platform to another. So, you know, it becomes a lot less frictionless, a, a lot less uh, financially risky to bring to the American market. And I think it's just such a great boom of new content. And it's kind of interesting because before, I, you know, you could say like the Korean had a certain look that was distinct from manga. And now sometimes I feel like they're blending a lot more. And then you're you're seeing some manga creators like Akiko Higashimura is on top of us and Webtoon, right? Like the woman who did uh, Princess Jellyfish and mm-hmm. Tokuta Reba Girls. Like they're, and then I think uh, Karokawa and Yen Press, they have an initiative called Tate Scroll, which is um, they have a they have they have a huge contest where they're trying to get more comics creators, manga creators making vertical scrolling comics. Um, there's also a a Shonen Jump series called Romantic Killer that was a winner of a Shonen Jump webtoon sc- vertical scrolling contest. So I'm seeing like the traditions are starting to blend a little bit. Um, but the thing that's, you know, really fun for me to watch about that is that, you know, there'll be creators who don't like the web, don't like that, uh, their, the pages that they've created and drawn and thought, mm were meant to be read as a two-page spread or being seen only one page at a time on a phone um, mm-hmm. bothers them. <laughs> like I just, we just recorded the Pluto episode of by Naoki Urasawa on, um, from Manga Splaining. Oh, and your podcast. I, yeah. Yeah. And then I couldn't find my, my volume one of Pluto. So I had to buy the Japanese version from Bookwalker. Um, they have digital only in Bookwalker. Naoki Urasawa has famously not wanted his books in digital for a long, long, long time. So when I bought the digital version, on the first page, it says, this book is meant to be read in a two-page spread. <laughs> Please w- read it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I will say I am um, fascinated by by the switch to digital in, in, in Japan and Korea. And, um, you know, do these, do they have bigger phones or maybe they have better eyesight than I do? Because I, huh. you know, do not like reading comics uh, I, on my phone. Uh, well, there's actually much- a, there's a, there's a folding, um, uh, phone that Samsung puts mm-hmm. out. Like it mm-hmm. folds in half like a book. Oh, also, oh yeah. And but- also reading, reading, even reading webtoons on, on iPads, for instance, is, um, really pretty cool. Well, yeah. iPad. No, no problem. I love reading comics yeah. on my iPad, but yeah, and even the webtoon, even webtoon comics, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I would say, frankly, as someone who does not like uh, reading digitized Western comics or digitized print comics on a phone, I don't have any problem reading um, webtoons because it's one panel at a time. Well, yeah. but webtoons are formatted, right? For but that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If they're formatted correctly. Which all of these, which we're speaking of now, are, um, you know, it, it's the vertical scrolls the way to go. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like told people, it's like I think eventually American comics is going to move towards this vertical scroll, 
and then they're going to, that's where the, the monthly and the weekly comics will be on the yeah. phone. And then, the, then everything gets compiled as books mm. and, and sold, right? Because what mm. happens in Korea, for example, is not every webtoon gets put it made into a book. Mm-hmm. It's if like if it's very popular because it takes a certain amount of work to format it to look good on a page. Yeah. And a certain amount of thought. So it's there's really interesting trends happening. I mean, I think that's where the AI, some of the AI assisted artwork is coming in to play. Interesting. Uh, production as a production tool. Mm-hmm. It's just really fun to watch these um trends and they're happening so fast. Yeah. So well, Deb, yeah. I, I've got a question. I and I know we're getting close to your time, uh ah. you have to jump off. But uh you do mention an article where you where you what kind of content might be missing in this North American mm. manga boom. Uh you want to talk about that a little bit? What what Yeah, there there are two areas that uh, people identified. One is um shoujo and jose manga, which is comics for uh girls and mm-hmm. comics for women. Um, those tend to be heavily digital, uh, mm. not as much in print. And there's a very vocal fandom that will point that out and say, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's a lot, well, part of it too is like, uh, a lot of manga sales are driven by anime and most anime is adapted from shonen or seinen titles. Mm. Um, so there's that. But if you look at webtoon, for example, a webtoon tapas, uh, Lazen, for example, it's all, it's, and they'll say this, their readership is heavily female. Mm-hmm. Their content is heavily romance and fantasy and stuff like that. And so in the article I'm saying, I think that speaks to an unmet market. I mean, yeah, an, you an did, unsatisfied market. You didn't even mention Isekai in all the articles, and, you know, and which is the dominant genre right now, well, right? But, but is Isekai but that's, a genre or is it a trope that is applied across genres? I mean, I've seen every genre there is being isekai in the last few years. Yeah, it, it's a, it basically can go in all kinds of directions, yeah. right? Cause it can be romantic isekai, it can be science fiction isekai. So it's a, so it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a trope. You're right. You're well, well put, Kate. Well put. Yeah. Um, so it's like, but the other one, the other, the other market that seems to be mysteriously under, underserved is kids. Yeah. Uh, content for, uh, manga for kids under 12. And middle grade manga, quite, essentially. Yeah. It's tough. Hmm. It's a bit really difficult because there is no, there's a cultural clash. Hmm. Um, a, a lot of things that are created for kids in Japan don't work for kids in America because there's a lot of scatalog. There's a lot of poo humor. There's a lot of, there's some non-sexual nudity because there's a lot of, you know, like kids in Japan, they, they go to public baths, you know, they take baths with yeah. their parents, you yeah. know, so <laughs> non-sexual nudity is no big thing, but it's a thing here. Yeah. Um, or, or, and like that kind of humor. But the other part that's tricky is that a lot of manga here that we consider to be all ages were originally published in what are called seinen manga magazines, uh, which are geared for adult, geared generally adult <laughs> readers. Yeah. Yotsuba, she's sweet home, uh, you know? Yeah. Skip and yeah. loafer. These are all like pub, which had atelier is published in a, in a magazine meant for adult readers well it doesn't surprise me because if you look at what you know younger teenagers are reading here yes they're reading things from the young adult section um but they're also 
grabbing manga that's not in the young adult section that is in the adult section and that is even just marketed to adults. They're well, that's fine. Adult books from the fantasy section or the romance section. Like. Well, I mean, you know, when you're 12 years old, you want to read whatever is meant for the age above you. However, when you get to be a grown up, you want to read what the kids are reading, apparently. So, <laughs> well, or alternately, there, I mean, there's a sort of crossover there, right? Like at a certain point, while there are some things that are definitely not for 12 year olds, there's a huge crossover between what 12 year olds like and what adults like. They're not oh, so yeah. from us. Yeah. So, Deb, I know you have to run. So just one quick question and uh, for all of everybody. And, um, of course, you mentioned that the anime boom on streaming is really what has helped fuel the manga boom. But um, did, has anyone seen on Apple TV, they have the adaptation of Drops of God. Oh, uh, the wine, yeah. The famous wine manga. Has anybody checked that out yet? Yeah, it's. I put it in the story list. Um <laughs> Uh, one thing that really strikes me about it is that they gender swapped the protagonist. They did, yes, I they noticed did. that. And they also made her French, which I'm not sure if they did that for international appeal or what. But there's a bunch of that. Like, there's a version of some of the gods that was produced in France, and then the the protagonist is now French. So that, that really? happened with distant neighborhood. There's it's a couple just, of examples of that. Another kind of localization. Yeah. Mm. If, yeah, if the yeah, readers are interested, if they go to uh, publisherswiki.com slash comics, we have an excerpt from uh, when Comixology's digital edition was put out a few years back of, of uh, Drops of God. So, yes. It's a great manga. I highly recommend it. Yes, you know, it is. It yeah, is. It's a very, lot of fun. very good. Very good. So, Deb, thank you so much. This is Deb Aoki who wrote the um, uh, our our feature that's out now, our sales of manga leveling out. It's our annual manga feature. It's also – has uh is manga all kinds all formats going um uh, going global and then there's another piece that we did not get a chance to talk about about freelancers and uh dealing with terms in today's manga market so go to publisherswiki.com and check us out awesome thanks Thanks a lot kelly Um, all right thanks everybody see you later it's always great to talk to deb about manga she knows so much about it so what else happened this week, folks? So the Flash trailer just dropped? Yes. And wasn't it interesting? Oh, boy. Guys, I want to ask each of you, what struck you most about that trailer? Well, it's a Batman movie <laughs> co-starring <laughs> The Flash Batman based on that trailer. You mean it's like not a Supergirl movie? There. Like gender-swapped Superman, maybe? Not it's sure. Not a super, yeah, it's not a Supergirl movie? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do we, yeah, what, like, yes, this, this gender swapped Superman is kind of a new, new fresh take, uh, interesting. I mean, at least she's not wearing a little short skirt that blows up all the time. So I'm, I'm down with that. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, you- I mean, look, it looks like a pretty interesting trailer. I have to admit, I mean, obviously we've heard so much about this movie, uh, uh both, uh, and, and, and about its star, Ezra Miller, over the last few years. Um, uh, it, it certainly is appearance. It seems like it collapses multiple years of Batman movies and some, some of the comics continuities all in one place and stirs it up. I don't know. Well, Kate, what do you think? Well, I was just about to say something. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's not an accident that it focused more on people who are not, uh, named Barry. <laughs> and Barry Allen. Um, and I 
I mean, part of that is that, yes, this is a multiverse movie disguised as a Flash movie in much the same way that the third um, Captain America movie was not really a Captain America movie at all, but rather an Avengers film. Um, but I do, some part of me wonders if the reason they're marketing in this flashlight way, no pun intended, is because of Ezra Miller's troubled recent history. You know, if you have a movie that you need to keep because it's a linchpin to where you're going forward with your story. And that was supposed to be like a stealth crossover. Well, you take the word stealth out of that crossover because you got to get people to see it. And I have to say, like, seeing that trailer... If I hadn't known anything before this, I would be like, yeah, I got to see that movie. I don't know why they're calling it The Flash, but I have to see it. <laughs> um, as it is, I'm going to keep my ear to the ground and see if I can't find some more about this thing out before I actually decide to pay money to go. But uh very promising trailer. Well, you know, they they screened it. Not they, not only did it drop the trailer, uh well, you know, Tuesday as we're recording this. Um, but then they screened the, not the whole movie, no post-credit sequence scenes were shown, and I guess it was a little unfinished, but they screened it for the attendees at CinemaCon, which is, you know, kind of a Comic-Con for theater owners, and it's held in Vegas, and, uh, this is like, uh, they did have it in per- person last year, but this one, they are, you know, it's back to all the glitz, back to all the glamour, back to two-hour-long presentations, but yeah, they showed the whole movie, so you can easily find uh, lots and lots and lots of reactions on Twitter or on the beat. There's a, I actually had a story about it. Uh, kind of summing up some of the reactions and they were very, very, very positive. Um, and you know, a lot of people said the third act is a bit of a mess and, mm. um, but you know, like these, these reactions to these advanced screenings among film journalists, not critics, journalists, are always rhapsodic, you know. I mean, I'm going to go see Guardians of the Galaxy 3 tomorrow, which I'm pretty excited about, and, you Ooh, know, there's no social cool. media embargo. I guarantee when I walk out, no matter how bad the movie is, people are going to be saying how great it was. And, um, or, you know, 75% of the people will be saying that. So, uh, but, you, you know, Kate, what you just said about it being a linchpin is interesting because, um, you know, this movie was filmed in 2021. It was filmed as part of a whole different version of the DCU. Yeah, know? but it's using a device used in Marvel Comics to create a multiverse and yes. to give characters access to other places in the multiverse. And, I mean, given that it shows two different versions of Batman, I, I don't think I'm spoiling anything by saying that. Um, now... Whether they take advantage of it, I don't know. But through the magic of after-credit scenes, um, or maybe even just a few filmed crowd scenes they can paste in in post, uh, you can use a Flashpoint-type storyline to blend into pretty much anything you want to do. Uh-huh. So it can be written before and still end up as... Oh yeah, they need to yeah. make their new vision work. They could do a post-credit scene that pretty much rewrites everything. And uh as I noted in my story today, uh I mean Marvel 
did this incredibly well. They they excelled at the multiverse. You know, first in Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, the animated version where they had all the different spider beings for different dimensions. And of course, No Way Home, which brought back Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield, Spider-Man teaming up with Tom Holland to enormous box office. So, you know, no no secret. Uh I I mean it's it's good. It's all over the place. So, I'm sorry for spoiling it. So, cover your ears for the next few minutes. But, she's, you know, he's not spoiling it. It's from what you can see in the trailer. They're, right, yeah, right, right. This right, is right. all But I mean, trailer. some people don't watch trailers cuz they don't want to spoil. But, you know, Michael Keaton, the original yes. modern Batman returns. Yes. And and he's the co-star of the trailer. And you know what? That is awesome. Everybody yeah. loves Michael Keaton as Batman. I love Michael Keaton, you know. I'm not that crazy about him as Batman, though, I have to tell you. Well, it was very controversial at the time. Uh, I'm I'm still... And, of course, Affleck shows up, too. Yeah. And watching the trailer, I was struck by one thing, which was, I mean, another thing, other than just look at all the Batman and people who aren't Flash. The other thing was, why don't we see Michael Keaton in more movies these days? He, Like, seriously. Guy is due for a renaissance. Well, I think he's kind of been having one. I mean, after Birdman, which was which a self-referential take on him having played Batman. Yeah. Um, it, it was kind of, let's put it this way. His, his more recent fare has been distinctly art house. Yeah. Not exactly pulling in that big box. Well, I'm sure, you know what? Honestly, I bet you he's, He's perfectly happy doing that because, uh, well, I don't know. I don't want to speak for Michael. Yeah. Well, he's getting a big payday now. That's for sure. If he's in this. Yeah. Movie. Uh, yeah. and Birdman was, I haven't, I don't, I don't know what else he's done, but Birdman was, I, I really liked that. Well, movie. he was great as the vulture in, um, in, you know, some of those oh, uh, Spider-Man right. movies. He was right. This is just right. He was in the Spider-Man movie. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. My and bad. I mean, he, and he showed up yeah. at, at the tail end, you know, just a really quick rundown of some of the other things that happened at cinema. Oh, well, you know what? Sorry. Before we move on to the flash, another thing I wanted to point out, this is obviously based very heavily on Flashpoint. Uh, yes, yes. Which, um, you know, I read for whatever reason. I had to read it. And you know what? It's pretty good. <laughs> I think it's a pretty good superhero story written by Jeff Johns, the art by Andy Kubert. And, um, you know, in which Barry, you know, Barry Allen has always had these dimensional hopping skills via his mm. super speed. And, uh, you know, he tries to go into the past and change things and, you know, maybe bring back some loved ones. And guess what? That just never works out. So, uh, yeah, mess around with the past, time travelers. Show can tell you. What's, yeah. I'm sorry, what? As anyone who's watched the Flash television. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, uh, which I haven't, but I, so they, but listen, I think, uh, this will sell a lot of copies of the Flashpoint graphic novel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Oh, so just a quick, couple other really quick things from CinemaCon. Um, which is still ongoing even as we speak, but uh, a lot of other superhero movies were teased. Probably the biggest news was they showed a bit of Craven the Hunter, which is part of the Sony supervillain universe, which is, you know, based on Venom. They had Morbius. Now they're doing Craven the Hunter. Stars Aaron Taylor Johnson. And the first few minutes, it's R-rated, very violent. And the first few minutes featured Craven biting off a poacher's nose. So All right. um, a whole new look. Well, right. I mean, now that's I mean, entertainment. I mean, I guess that there's an audience for everything, maybe. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. They also teased the Blue Beetle movie, 
uh, which is coming out in August and, uh, a little bit under the radar, but, uh, apparently it looked good. And, um, you know, DC backed that up with actually some publishing news today. Yeah. They're going to be bringing out an, a new Blue Beetle ongoing. And to be clear, this is the Jaime Reyes, uh, Blue Beetle, who is the same one who will be appearing in the movie. Well, there are hints that Ted Cord may appear in the series as well, because what's better than one Blue Beetle? Two blue. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it is it's time to come out with the movie. And I mean, it's no secret if you are into the deep lore of more to come that I like Blue Beetle in all his forms. Um, so I'm ready for it. Uh, the creative team is going to be Josh Trujillo and artists. Adrian Gutierrez, Will Quintana, and Lucas Gatoni. Um, so they're going to have a ongoing again, and the first arc is going to be Scarab War, uh, which may not make sense if you don't read Blue Beetle, but suffice it to say that the Scarabs are the Blue Beetle uh DSX Machina of choice. <laughs> well, uh, you know, listen, it's interesting to see how DC and, uh, the Warner Brothers studio are, are, they're doing a lot more synergy these days. And, um, you know, them putting out a Blue Beetle comic when the movie comes out sounds like a no brainer, but in the past it's been a total brainer. So, um, you know, good, good. We'll see. We'll be following that for sure. So, so we move on, uh, very quickly, April 14th and 15th, uh, was the, the Black Comic Book Festival at the Schomburg Library up in Harlem, uh, an annual event. Uh, I was, I was able to go up there. It started on Friday, uh, I think it was Friday and Saturday. I was up there on Friday. Uh, great turnout. Um, uh, uh, I bumped into, uh, Joel Christian Gill, uh, terrific cartoonist who is had an advanced copy of a book I think everybody's going to be talking about. It's coming out later this year. I think it's coming out in June. Stamped, a graphic history of racist ideas in America. He's doing this. It's a, basically an adaptation of Ibram X. Kendi's um, National Book Award winning book of the same title. A fascinating look at the history of racist tropes in America. Um, so he was there, uh, you know, he, he's done a long series of books about, uh, black history. Uh, Ron Wimberly was up there signing copies of some of his most recent books. Um, and Stephen Harris, who does a variety of, uh, he's got a new series out now, uh, Indigo Clan, a kind of crazy, uh, spiritualist <laughs> superhero. It's hard to describe it, but you know, there you go. Um, uh, you, Great event. Um, I had a ball, uh, the Black Comic Book Festival at Har- uh, in Harlem. And, uh, you know, I wasn't able to go and, uh, nor was I able to go to an event that was held just this weekend, which the Brooklyn Indie Comics Festival in yes. Industry City. But, uh, boy, events are back. I mean, yeah, I guess it's almost doesn't even need to be said anymore, but, um, everything is roaring back. In fact, there's always like two or three things going on in the same weekend, like, you know, where I'm like, oh, I have to do this. And then it's like, oh, I can't do that. And I was like, oh, this is like, this is like 2019. My head is spinning. <laughs> there you go. 
Yeah. Uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Well, um, the continuing dissolution of comicsology continued uh, over the last couple of days when it was announced that the Marvel Comics app, which was the last freestanding comics app that was powered by Comixology's engine, would be shutting down. Mm-hmm. And if you had made purchases on it, uh, they would be available, but in the Marvel Unlimited platform. And, um, you know, well, you know, Comixology, we hardly knew you. <laughs> well, you know, we've moved on. Um, <laughs> Comixology has been absorbed, and I guess they're just not doing the same kind of what white label you know, coding that they used to do. Well, there is a very interesting article up on Popverse um, by Bon Alamagno, who used to work at Amazon, and he kind of talks about it from uh insider's perspective. And um just that, I mean, it kind of just talks about some of the things that we've mentioned here before, which is that, um, you know, Comixology was powered by PHP and Amazon isn't, and that was huge. So it had to be, you know, con- um, converted, but also just that Amazon's, you know, the way, I mean, this is pretty obvious. I mean, it's just stating the obvious, but just from an insider's perspective that, uh, the way Amazon wants to do business is not the way comics readers want to buy digital comics. Yeah. And so, uh, hey, you know, good luck to Global Comics and Omnibus because, um, I think we just need a, I think we need an alternative at this point. Yeah. And I think it's called Webtoon. Well, Webtoon isn't going to carry, you know, Marvel, DC and Image Comics. Not yet. Not yet. But all I can say is there may be an equivalent. Oh, 10 years down the road. Run by Marvel, run by DC, run by Image. Oh, well, I mean, Kate, are you suggesting that periodical comics might be replaced by mobile comics? By periodical mobile comics? Well, at the very least, I think it'll become an auxiliary sooner than you think, where you can buy this week's uh Batman in person, or you can buy this week's Batman vertical scrollet. That's what I think is going to be coming or at least tried sooner than we think. Wow. We'll see. We'll see if I'm wrong. Yeah. It's, yeah. Hey, it's a, it's a, it's a real possibility for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think the DC comics being created for and on Webtoon are a trial balloon. No, oh, yeah, totally. And absolutely. They're quite successful as far as I can tell. So if they succeed also in collected editions, we're going to see more. And well, we're going to see more. I could be wrong, but I think DC is going to want to bring it in house. Wow. Well, I, I, you know, I think something's going to happen. Sorry, Calvin. What were you going to say? No, no, no. I'm just, I mean, I do wonder about it bringing it in house. Uh, but, but hey, I, I don't know. It, it, well, it, or maybe they'll do good as guest as any. Mm-hmm. They'll do what they did with Comicsology last time, mm-hmm. where you know they get the people who already know how to do it to build them their own special app for themselves. Mm. Well, I think I think making what we currently call periodical comics, others, you know, 
the comic book, mm-hmm. the Saddle Stitch comic book. Um, I think making them available to read on fo- mobile phones is obvious. Yes. Obviously, part of the future. I mean, we get as we were saying with Deb. You know, Deb was talking. We were talking about how in Japan and Korea, most people read comics on their phones, and yeah. you know, so to, you mean, know, harkening back. I mean, it's hard for me to conceive how uh, how page design uh, traditional superhero comic books, adventure comic books. Uh, it's hard for me to understand how they would be. Uh, done. Well, they're not going to do the page design the same way. Yeah. That's now, I think, I think that, yeah, no, we, well, yes, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It would be, it would be a complete rethinking of how, uh, these, these comics are, are, are designed and drawn and illustrated. So, yeah. Because there are plenty of adventure webtoons. Sure. Of adventure vertical scroll comics. There's nothing inherent about the vertical scroll that cannot be done in an action way. Um, and I mean, I could be wrong, but I think at the very least, I think it's going to be an auxiliary to the floppy because well, I think it's a better model for a cell phone than what Comixology did. I mean, Comixology. Yeah. Did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I agree. Scrolling yeah. is better than guided view. Absolutely. Yeah, no, you without know? a doubt. Without but, but the only thing is that when, you know, adapting Laura Olympus to print and adapting all the webtoons, the scrolling webtoons mm. to print has been a giant pain in the ass. Mm. And um, it doesn't always go smoothly and it takes actual person power, although maybe they can train an AI to do it, you know. But um, <laughs> well, that may happen as well. You know, I mean, honestly, I think there's always here's what I, I, I the, the periodical comic. I said it. I've said it before. It's like going to be like the LP, like the record. Okay. Yeah, I, I and agree. It's, and it's like, so the kids, I mean, I told this anecdote, I think last time we recorded that, you know, I went to the SVA class and they had never even read a, a printed periodical comic. Right. And so it's obvious that Xennial readers are reading them, reading manga and webtoons. That is what mm. they are reading. They are not reading periodical comics. I mean, to be honest, I'm a millennial. I literally work on a comic book podcast. In the last three years, almost all of my comic consumption has either been in graphic novel form, you know, is the physical paper book, not a periodical, mm-hmm. or digital. Yeah. We yeah. have not been buying floppies. Yeah. Right. And what I, I, I think your, your comment about the storytelling and, and what Deb was saying also about, you know, manga storytelling too, you know, she was saying that readers don't like, or the creators don't like having the spreads broken up, but the readers really don't give a hootie pootie. Um, but I, I just like with the LP where you get kind of these, you know, audio snobs, I think you'll get comic snobs who, you know, want to see a two page spread by, um, you know, Travis Charay. <laughs> Or, I mean, there's going to be a generational divide about yeah. what, yeah, yeah but, that's what's going to happen. But young hipsters yeah. will discover the double, the two page spread is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. And, and bring it back to some extent, sure. Well, or even not necessarily bring it back, but leave it where <laughs> it is, and then just be like, "Hey, I know comics better than you. I am in the the spread early. Yes, you get the spread in the graphic novel, but I get the spread three months early." 
Woo. <laughs> <laughs> um, whatever. All right. I'm not saying that the floppy's going away. I'm just saying it's going to be heavily assisted. Yes, absolutely. Um, let's see. What else do we have here? Um, let's well, see. how about the prizes? Yes, we have a couple more prize winners to talk about with the 2023 Cartoonist Studio Prize, which uh, given out by CCS Center for Cartoon Studies and co-sponsored by the Beat. Uh, we're giving out the winter, the print winner was The High Desert, Black Punk, Nowhere by James Spooner, a book we've spoken about many times here on the podcast. And, uh, in web comics, the winner was Vivian's Ghost by Hal Shreve, a, a comic I've never heard of, to be honest. Has anyone, anyone no, know it? I have not. Well, well, I was not a judge. Uh, the Beats Avery Kaplan was, so I'm going to have to investigate that one. Uh, and then finally rounding up, the prize, uh, the LA Times book prize was given out and the graphic novel winner was, uh, Wash Day Diaries by Jim Rouser and, uh, Robin Smith. Another book that we've talked about for a long time here on the beat. Congratulations, Jamila and Robin. It's such a great book. Yeah. Uh, it is. But also extra special congrats to friend of the beat, Alex Segura. Yeah. <laughs> who won uh in the mystery novel category for secret identity. Yeah. So you know a, a mystery crime novel set in the world of what 1970s comic book companies. Yes. Yeah. An obscure world that was ruled by Al Milgram. <laughs> <laughs> we have time for just two very brief briefs. Both of them from the land of manga. And not just manga, but Manga piracy and manga plagiarism. So, <laughs> our, our two favorite topics. <laughs> so the first and darker story is that statistics have come out from the Content Overseas Distribution Association, a Tokyo-based piracy watchdog, stating that they believe that they have a loss of around $15 billion in manga sales and anime sales uh in 2021 five times the amount in 2019 um they surveyed four entertainment categories video published content video games and music and based on market surveys consumer questionnaires uh the association estimated the losses to rights holders amounted to between 1.9 and 2.2 trillion yen yeah. And a major portion of the losses was estimated to have been from anime and other video content with about 906 billion to 1.4 trillion yen. Um, manga comics and other published media were projected to have lost, uh, 395.2 billion to 831.1 billion yen. Um, no, all these prices are in yen. Now, there are, you know, we gotta know that these guys are founded by the manga industry. Um, they have been pushing for taking down piracy websites all over the world. On Thursday, they said the Brazilian authorities have taken down 36 websites hosting pirated Japanese anime. Um, said it was the first case of Foreign sites hosting content for local viewing taken down after its member Japanese animation companies filed criminal complaints. 
Now, I'm now going to give my own personal thought, which is maybe if certain streaming platforms work better, uh, <laughs> I'm tempted to pirate them. Okay. Uh, that's, <clears throat> that's just my personal opinion. A lot of piracy, I think, not so much because people don't have the money or won't spend the money, but because people are sick of dealing with badly made streaming platforms. Just That's just my controversial theory. Uh, fix your streaming platforms, people. HBO, I'm looking at you. Um, and on a lighter, funnier note, but almost unbelievably stupid, <laughs> uh, Olivia's Ministry of Education released a new line of school textbooks that I guess they thought were new and a hip and cool with their illustrations. Little did they know, we hope, we hope that their artist was snapping up the images from a wide variety of well-known anime. Wow. Um, <laughs> it wasn't just on the inside of the book where they might have gotten away with it, but the covers as well. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so the uh cover of a sixth grade textbook uh very much mimics like one of the main images on like the covers of the DVD and the posters for the anime Orange. Um the fifth grade textbook copies an image from Fruits Basket with an addition of um a couple extra props and a cunningly placed hat the the fourth grade textbook <laughs> just steals the entire poster of weathering with you not exactly obscure yes it's pretty obvious too <laughs> cover of the third grade textbook takes the cover image from your lie in april so uh this immediately went viral on Bolivian social media and the Bolivia's education department acknowledged that approximately 1.1 million textbooks have already been distributed. <laughs> well, that train has left the station. <laughs> yeah. Well, another indication of the popular, the worldwide popularity of manga. Yes, uh, <laughs> there's one. If you don't, yeah, it's now started a a uh, heated debate uh, as to whether or not this reaches an illegal level of plagiarism. Um, your mileage may vary depending on what country <laughs> you're in. Because hey, they changed a few details. Oh dear, we'll see. Um, this may count as fair use under U.S. Uh, law. It's unclear, but this isn't the U.S. It's Bolivia and Japan. So we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Um, but pro tip, whether or not it's legal, don't plagiarize anime for your textbooks. You have that <laughs> online. Rick, what are you teaching here? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh boy. Anyway, well, um, I guess that's it for this week. Uh, until next time when there will be more to come. <laughs>